ButcherBox makes it super easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty. And ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your front door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at ButcherBox.com forward slash WP and use code WP. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I've personally never tried therapy, but I've heard from friends it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Waypoint to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Waypoint. Leave nothing for tomorrow, which can be done today. Abraham Lincoln said that. You probably already knew that. But you may have missed the second half of that quote, which says, and henceforth, you should watch the President's Day Gearbox Talk episode about presidential firearm history. Hey, look, like Honest Abe, I would not lie to you. Okay, he didn't say that, but I bet he would have. For this surprise Monday episode of Gearbox Talk, we have firearms historian Logan Medish back on the show. He's ready to highlight some of the most interesting firearms in presidential history. Lots of presidents have been into guns, ranging from Washington all the way through Obama, who single-handed and yet indirectly sold more guns than any president before him. I digress. Logan is going to share insights into George Washington's famed pistol collection, Theodore Roosevelt's double rifle, and the pistol responsible for the most famous duel in American history in which a sitting vice president shot a founding father. If you enjoyed my SHOT Show episode with Logan, you are in for a serious treat. If you missed that one, you have some catching up to do. All right, now Lincoln also said to make your time count, so let's get after it. This is Gearbox Talk with Logan Medish. Medis, you're already back on Gearbox Talk. How's it going, man? It goes. How are you? Doing well. I'm excited to have you here. We're going to talk about presidential firearms today. Are you ready? 
I am more than ready, my friend. I know you always come like super prepared. You got a degree in this stuff too, so you you know. Uh, all right, man. So a lot of presidents have had guns. I mean, yep. whether we're talking about Washington, Jackson, Roosevelt, JFK, Obama. Like, there's a lot of presidents. Whether no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you probably got somebody on your side that had a firearms collection. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for the sake of you know President's Day here, you and I thought it'd be fun to take a look back at, at some of the more impressive maybe not collections, but just pieces and, and interesting facets in history here. Look at some standout pieces, including a set of dueling pistols um, used by, we're going to bring a vice president into play here. And this is mostly because I'm obsessed with Hamilton. We're going to talk about the Hamilton Burr pistols, but you've yeah. got some other stuff, man. Let's dive in and talk a little bit about the uh, the George Washington and Andrew Jackson tie with that pair of pistols you told me about. Yeah, absolutely. The the Lafayette Washington Jackson pistols. So uh, the Marquis de Lafayette, which of course, uh, if, if you're familiar with Revolutionary War history, you're familiar with the Marquis, uh, helped solidify our relationship with France and, and the involvement in us becoming a country. And the Marquis viewed George Washington kind of as, uh, as a father figure. And that worked well for George because he didn't have any kids. Um, and so the Marquis de Lafayette actually purchased a beautiful pair of uh, silver-mounted flintlock pistols and gave them to George Washington during the Revolutionary War. Uh, and it's said that Washington had them with him uh, during the awful winter at Valley Forge and at Monmouth and, and finally at our, our victory in, at Yorktown in 1781. And those pistols were... Uh, incredibly important to George, um, and he he cherished him, you know, for for the rest of his life. And he passed in 1799, and of course he didn't have any kids, so uh, things got divided up and ended up with cousins and and nephews and stuff like that. Uh, and they made their way down the line until they were actually presented to Andrew Jackson, another president of the United States, and the Marquis de Lafayette came back through the United States in 1826 uh, to have kind of an anniversary tour of the United States. And one of the things he did was he went and visited Andrew Jackson at the Hermitage in Tennessee at his home there. And Jackson referred to the pistols as sacred and holy relics. Uh, he, He really held them in high regard and he had a bit of a surprise lined up for the marquee. At one point, uh, he had the pistols brought out and he showed them to him. And it was also kind of his way to verify the story. And he handed the guns to the marquee and he said, you know, do, do you recognize these? And the marquee said, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, these are the guns that I gave to my friend George Washington. Um, and so it was, it was a really cool moment to kind of solidify all of that. Um, and then when Andrew Jackson died, he actually bequeathed the pistols back to the Lafayette family. Uh, and so you've got this amazing connection between George Washington's, you know, quasi son and then two presidents of the United States. And, you know, and when you factor in that Lafayette actually named one of his kids George Washington Lafayette. I mean, it's there's there's an amazing connection there. And those pistols uh, sold for more than a million dollars. They sold at Christie's in 2002. Um, they were purchased by, purchased by the Mellon Foundation, and they were actually given uh, to Fort Ligonier, which is uh, in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and they are on permanent display there. And I uh, have been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to not only see those pistols, but actually to have them taken out of the case and actually hold them in my hands and examine them and uh, and really get a a chance for some hands-on history. That's awesome, man. Uh, I was going to ask you 
it's so tough to put a price on something like that, but you you do a lot of this in your spare time too, of looking at and assessing and uh, evaluating. I was kind of curious what they would sell for. I have to imagine 2002 is actually a long time ago. You know, it's kind of crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, 19 like, years ago. Yeah, it's like it doesn't feel like it is for me personally. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I remember what I was doing in 2002, and I'm like, that was a long time ago. Um, right. But I can only imagine that the value would have gone up there. Um, oh, yeah. Lafayette, uh, it's it's amazing that he even made it back. Uh, I don't know how much you're, how familiar you are with his, but he spent a lot of time imprisoned in the French Revolution because he went back. And it's interesting to me uh, of how much he still cared about Washington, even though uh, Washington ended up denying initial support to to the French in that battle. And yeah. it, it to me, it speaks a lot of George Washington that you know, despite the fact that the you know, Americans didn't hold up the treaty. Uh, they, they dropped, you know, the statement of neutrality, as as they say on 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 the uh, uh, mic drop from the musical. But you know, there was a lot more debate there than happened in the musical. I told you that I read the Hamilton um, biography this summer, and there's a lot of focus on 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 that. And it's interesting to me that um, you know Washington meant enough to Lafayette that that uh, circling back, he still he still cared so much for the guy. You know, to me, it says a lot about his character. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm speaking of Hamilton. We got to talk a little bit about another set of pistols, uh, the the famous set of pistols uh, with Vice President Aaron Burr. Give us the rundown on um, these pistols. I know you and I we we talked a little bit about them on Restless Native too. Another great show if anybody wants to check that out with with Logan. But for the Gearbox Talk listeners here, uh, talk a little bit about that that collection. Sure. Yeah. So the Hamilton Burr pistols. I mean, it's probably the most well known dual. Uh, in history and so they're the most famous dueling pistols in history and they were made by a guy named Robert Wagden um, and he was known for his dueling pistols I mean there was an entire culture around dueling and so you have industries that crop up around uh, around cultures and he was the guy to make a set of dueling pistols um, and he had he had teamed up with John Burton uh, shortly before he retired uh, he retired in 1803 the duel takes place in 1804 uh, the pistols were actually purchased uh, and owned by Hamilton's brother-in-law, and they were used in this duel, and then they were used again later in life, uh, in, in history uh, to actually end up leading to the death of Hamilton's son. But, uh, but there's uh, an amazing history to those pistols because they were the preeminent type of dueling pistol, uh, and they were used in this conflict. They were 54 caliber, uh, beautiful guns. Um, beautifully cased set. Uh, at some point in their life, one of the guns was converted to percussion from the original uh, flintlock configuration. Um, and then they were passed down, you know, they, they went through family history. And then I believe it was around 1930, they were actually purchased by uh, the Manhattan Bank, which has its ties to its beginnings with Aaron Burr. So it all kind of comes full circle uh, and those guns are are, are owned uh, still by that bank, uh, but today we know it as J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, Isn't it kind so. of crazy? Somebody be like, "Hey, I think I'm going to change one of these historic firearms." Like even in the moment, you'd think somebody be like, "Hey, I don't think you should mess with those. It's kind of a piece of history." <laughs> well, it, what's the story know, there? Yeah, and it's it was not uncommon for people to update stuff uh, as the technology came yeah. about. Um, and, and I believe the guns were converted somewhere like in the late 1830s or early 1840s. So, uh, the duel was still, you know, fairly recent, you know, within yeah. the last 30 years, 30, 30, 40 years. Um, so, you know, people don't 
tend to necessarily think of history being, you know, 40 years ago. I mean, we look at it now, 40 years ago is 1981, uh, which is hard to believe, but um, so I, I don't think they viewed them, uh, yeah. you know, quite as that holy relic, like, uh, like Andrew Jackson had viewed the the Washington guns before. So. Right. Right. Let's, let's jump uh, ahead a little bit. Um, I know you've got uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, quite the collector of firearms, what presidential pieces can we talk about owned by uh, by Teddy? Yeah, so Teddy had a ton of guns. I mean, he <laughs> was he was you know a, a gun guy's gun guy, big time. Um, and he he kept a, a beautiful pearl handled uh, FN nineteen hundred pistol uh, on the nightstand in the White House. Um, he had tons of Winchester lever action rifles. They were by far his favorite gun. Um, he took crates and crates and crates of Winchester guns and supplies with him when he went on safari in the early 1900s to Africa. Um, but he owned a lot of beautifully embellished and, and engraved stuff too. Uh, he owned a double rifle from Frederick Adolph uh, that was in 500-450 Nitro Express. So big game hunting rifle uh, presented to him in, in 1910. And it was beautifully engraved by Rudolf Kornbrath. And, and for folks who know uh, gun engravers, Kornbrath is, is one of those big names that really stands out. His work is, uh, is instantly recognizable. Uh, he did a lot of work for Colt uh, and a lot of work for uh, private commissions as well. Uh, and one really neat thing on, on this double rifle is that it's got the, the presidential seal uh, uh, cool. on, on each one of the barrels. Yeah. Where does that gun sit today? That gun is actually at the NRA National Sporting Arms Museum at the Bass Pro Shops headquarters in Springfield, Missouri. Oh, is it? Okay, cool. Um, what I, I'm kind of curious on, like, does stuff like that ever go to market, or is it mostly holed up in museums now? Like, what, I, I'm leading into asking you what that a gun like that would be worth on um, today, but I'm, I'm also kind of curious on, like, how much of this has kind of made its way to private collectors versus museums. Right. Uh, you know, there's a, a pretty decent balance, I would say, between stuff that's in museums and stuff that's privately held. Um, you know, there have been some Teddy Roosevelt guns that have sold just within the last couple of years. Uh, and they went, you know, from one private collector and they went to auction and, and went to another private collector. Um, so there's there's still stuff coming to light. Um, guns that are being identified uh, to to presidents and other historic figures, and you know, and if you've got a big enough name like Teddy Roosevelt and stuff, you know, those those guns can sell for six figures. Uh, you know, and the sky's the limit. Depends on just how bad someone wants it. Once they go into the museum circuits, do they kind of stay there? Is that I mean, is it uncommon for one to come back into a private collection? Uh, if if the museum owns it, yeah, uh, and if the museum's worth worth uh, anything, uh, then yeah, once it's in in the museum, it will not uh, go back into private hands. However, uh, because those guns are expensive and museums tend to have smaller budgets, a lot of times you'll see the the really impressive historic pieces are actually still privately owned and they're on loan to the museum loan, yeah. uh, from wealthy individuals. So you get kind of the best of both worlds there. Right, right. Um, man, that's all the notes I had on my presidential knowledge of firearms. What other, any other ones come to mind that are noteworthy in celebration of a little President's Day here? Sure. Yeah. Another one that I really like uh, is a uh, Winchester Model 21 
um, that was presented to Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, it's got his initials DDE on the trigger guard. It's also got uh, five stars uh, in gold signifying his, his general's rank. And it was actually given to him uh, by the president of Coca-Cola. They were mm. friends and they were hunting buddies. And uh, so that was a gift to him. And so I, I, you know, it's something you don't necessarily think about, you know, Coca-Cola and, and, a general president and their, <laughs> their hunting buddies and one gives a shotgun to the other. I just, I think that's kind of cool. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then you've got guys like JFK, uh, you know, probably the, the, the last individual with a certain political party affiliation after his name that was also a gun guy. And, you know, he, he was very involved in firearms, you know, being a World War II vet. And, you know, there's a great photo of him in the Oval Office holding, uh, you know, a, an M16, which was, you know, coming into early adoption and production there. And that was something he was interested in. Um, so there's a lot of neat stuff. And, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was also very interested in firearms. And uh, he actually had a, a modern made uh, Kentucky rifle was presented to him uh, by a Texas gunsmith. Um, it was presented to him in the Oval Office, uh, and it was actually featured on the cover of American Rifleman magazine when it was given to him. Um, but the little slip up with that is the gunsmith didn't realize that Reagan was left-handed, uh, and <laughs> Kentucky rifles like that, it's, it's very pertinent to have them uh, for the right person otherwise you're having all that ignition go off right in your face but right. still it's a beautiful gun and and reagan loved it just just the same so yeah how many pieces like that are gonna get shot anyways <laughs> well yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i can only imagine what what a piece like that uh you know one of a kind absolutely one of a kind it goes into what you were yep. saying a second ago uh you know, high six figures and it's not uncommon for some of this stuff to hit a, a more than a million dollars in in an yeah. auction so awesome man any other presidential nods uh, I think those are probably the big ones. Uh, well, speaking of big ones, uh, we'll talk about Grover Cleveland, who was not only a big man, but he had big guns. Uh, <laughs> Colt made their only eight gauge shotgun for Grover Cleveland. And, you know, if you've got shotgun guys, you know, if you're running three inch high brass in a 12 gauge, that that kicks pretty good. And yeah. if you've ever shot a 10 gauge, that kicks pretty good, too. Um, but you're, you're running with the really big boys when you go up to, uh, the eight gauge. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they made it for Cleveland. I, I don't know that he ever shot it. Um, but he's, he was certainly of the stature that I think if, if someone could have withstood it, it would definitely be Grover Cleveland. I didn't know about that. That's really cool. Hey man, yeah. give a little shout out to your show, um, and, and talk about how people could find you. If anybody's nerding out here, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so much cool knowledge. Uh, Logan has an awesome podcast that I want to give I'll get a little love to here at the end, just so you can find more awesome stuff like this. Yeah, so it's the High Caliber History podcast. Um, you can find it on all your main platforms, you know, Google Podcast, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, there's a video version on YouTube. Just search for High Caliber History podcast, where we talk about all things uh, firearms and history and museums and where all those worlds intersect and, and come together. A lot of great guests, different museum curators, uh, firearm company historians, um, and so on and so forth. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, like Brad said, if, if you've enjoyed this little snippet, uh, I think you'll, you'll enjoy the rest of my show. 
Yep. And I'll give a shout out to the other show that we did. If you haven't seen our other episode on, um, on Gearbox Talk, awesome episode. We did a shot show 1921, which was fantastic, super fun show. And then Logan's also been on my Restless Native podcast. Dude, we'll put all those links into the show notes. I thank you for coming on and, and, uh, shedding a little wisdom for us, a little knowledge. (laughs) That's right. Thanks for having me, Brad. It's been really great. All right. Take care, man. Thank you. Thank you, Logan. Be sure you check out Logan's podcast, High Caliber History. It's awesome. He's a great guy. He's a great storyteller, and he's got something really cool if you're into gun history. Check out that podcast for sure. And thank you for dropping into this special edition of Gearbox Talk. I want to remind you, Dwight Eisenhower said, never waste a minute thinking about people you don't like. You're still here, so I'm inclined to think you like this show. So go ahead and subscribe. Subscribers get to see tons more shows like this, and we're talking tactics and gear, all as it relates to hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, the firearms, all of that good stuff that you like so hit that subscribe button all right that's it for me today i'm out are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure look no further than lake erie powder hook in partnership with the great lakes fishery commission has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world the best part is You don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter, secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat. All these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at powderhook.com. That's powderhook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie.